Welcome to Bethlehem Church Online. I'm Pastor Matt. I'm so excited that you decided to join us for worship today. I hope the singing and preaching of God's Word is uplifting and it gives you just what you need. I'm not sure where you are in your relationship or your walk with the Lord, uh, but I want today to be a blessing. I want you to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And so we pray that today is encouraging and that it's just what you need. If it's your first time, make sure to click the link in the post and fill out that form. We have a free gift for you following today's service. Thank you so much for joining us and enjoy the service. Hebrews chapter seven, verse number one, we're gonna read to verse 10 and then uh, we'll dive into the first part. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, this is the second time we've talked about him. So we've introduced Melchizedek as almost like this Christly figure in the Old Testament. Uh, what we're going to talk about today, though, is he was actually uh, a, real, a real man. He was a, a high priest. Um, and there's a reason why he was of a different order, and we're going to see that here in these 10 verses. So even though some of the um, extra-biblical writings that we read about Melchizedek, because I think it's interesting, and I think it's fun, and I think... Uh, people have seen that this character has like no genealogical ties, right? And it's almost like they have this uh, supernatural superstition around him. I think that makes sense, especially if he's pointing to a messianic figure that will come born of a virgin with no genealogical ties per se for the priesthood. So uh, all of these things I think are relevant um, but we also can't miss the fact that he was actually a person in the Old Testament, okay? From this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of God most high, met Abraham and blessed him as he returned from defeating the kings. Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness. Am I too loud out there? Okay. First is, uh, turn my stage monitors, bus one and two, turn those down a little bit and that'll probably help me. Thanks, Mo. Uh, king of righteousness, then also, perfect. Um, then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Verse number three, without father, mother, or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the who? The son of God. He remains. You, you see that? He remains a high priest, what? forever. Verse 4, now consider how great this man was, Melchizedek, right? Even Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the plunder to him. The sons of Levi, who received the priestly office, have a command according to the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is from their brothers and sisters, though they have also descended from Abraham. But one without this lineage collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. Who, who was that? Who was the one who had the promise? Abraham. Remember the Lord made a promise with Abraham? We talked about that last week, okay? The Lord made a promise on whose name? His name. And then took it a step further and made an oath. This builds on it, right? So he's saying that when, when this thing happened in Abraham's life, there was someone there to carry out the priestly duties for Abraham, someone that was greater than the Levitical priesthood. Let's keep reading here, and then we'll, I'll talk about it. Verse number six, but, without, but one without this lineage, collected to tenth, gave it to Abraham, the one with the promises, verse seven. Without a doubt, the inferior is blessed by the superior. 
In the one case, men who will die receive a tenth, but in the other case, Scripture testifies that he lives. And in a sense, Levi himself, who receives a tenth, has paid a tenth through Abraham, for he was still within his ancestors when Melchizedek met him. So you can see the author is telegraphing an old ancient tradition that they, their ancestors, carried the ones who would come after them within themselves. So the author is referring to Abraham carrying the Levitical priesthood within himself. Why? Because Abraham begets Isaac, Isaac begets Jacob, Jacob begets 12 sons. The 12 sons were the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those tribes is the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi, we know this when we studied Exodus together, it is Aaron, Moses' brother. Uh, That line, the Levites, would uh, be dubbed the priests and given the priestly duties. Leviticus, the Levitical law that we see in the Torah, is for the Levites to carry out. And so from a perspective of a Jew, and this is Hebrews, written to Hebrews, first century church, We're benefiting from this, right? But you have to consider, like, how would a Jew look at this perspective? How would a Jew that has a certain way that they've always done it, a certain way that they've always worshipped and synagogue and priests, right? Those priests come from a certain line. They come from the Levites. That's how it is. That's how it's always been. Well, for one, that's actually not how it's always been. There was a point of origination where, okay, the tribe of Levi, Levi the son of Jacob, you will be the lineage of priests. It began. And what the author is pointing to is the Lord was working out priestly duties before there was ever a lineage of priests. And the author is saying this was, let's just take it a step beyond. If you are in the ancient realm, the ancient Near East, you believe that your patriarch is holding within himself, within his seed, all of his descendants. So in this specific story, what you have is Abraham. We already know the Lord made a promise with him. I don't have time to expound on that because I'm doing really good at 1134 right now. You know what I'm saying? We're getting it done. We're doing work. <laughs> uh, I knew I would be like, woohoo! Is I almost wore my blue belt in here today. You know what I'm saying? I almost put, anyway, uh, yeah, I'm just still on my high from yesterday, okay? I know I'm a mess. But here's what, here's what you have to see. Abraham, the patriarch, the beginning of this family, right? Essentially, he's the father of that. The Lord promised him he's going to make a nation, right? And we had the whole story about Isaac last week. Well, how that plays out and how that begins to come together, um, we can really get a good picture of that in Exodus. And where you all have seen Moses pick up with Aaron and the law, right? All of that is the Lord fulfilling his promise to Abraham. Uh, But this specific story that's being talked about here. Moses defeats uh, the king of Sodom, and he defeats actually a group or an alliance of kings. And if you go read the story in the Old Testament, it's pretty crazy. Uh, Abraham has over 300 men that are a part of his family, uh, his servants, his staff, if you will. And these 300 men, the Bible says, are trained. Abraham mobilizes a mini army, and I may have seen 300, right? 
like Leonidas. What a movie. Man, that's some good. Anyway, he's got to be like a black belt. I don't even know. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, you get the point. They have 300 men, and they mess them up, right? Because they were trained, and they knew, they knew what was going on. The Lord, here's what I'm saying. The Lord blessed Abraham in an incredible way. And in the beginning, where we talk about 20-some years into Abraham's blessing, and he has Isaac, right? And he's building this empire. You fast-forward that thing. Abraham's got people that are doing work, that are loyal, that are growing, that they, they can move. And they go, and they defeat these kings. And Abraham still, though, in his understanding of the promise, Abraham knows that, that he is moving because God Almighty, Yahweh, he, listen, all the other nations have been disinherited. You can look to the left, you can look to the right. The king of Sodom was not worshiping Yahweh. He was given over to the kings, to the rulers of the darkness of this world. But Abraham was in alignment with Yahweh. And so when Abraham takes his 300 and he goes and defeats nations, and, uh, and these are stories that we don't talk about much, uh, the Bible says that when he gets the spoils from that, he knows innately that 10% belongs to the Lord. But where's the law system? Where's the Levitical priesthood? We take the tithe and the tenth and we go and we give it to temple. And in, the, and in the Levites' family, they're taking from their brothers and sisters because they know it's what's right to do. And my point is, before that ever happened, before that ever took place, guess what? Abraham knew it needed to be done, and there was someone working for the Lord, king of Salem, king of peace, Jerusalem. The same place, the same God. And he was a high priest for Abraham. The Lord, listen, the Lord will always make a way. The Lord is the one working, and he has the plan, and he is ordering the steps. Before the law was ever given, the Lord was. Before there was ever a Ten Commandments construct for a nation to be blessed, there was Abraham. And Abraham knew through his relationship with the Lord that he owed the Lord a tenth. I think we should pause right there and just talk about that for a second. And, and for us, if we want to covenant and make a promise with the Lord, we talked about that last week. Do we even have a mechanism in our life to show our generosity to the Lord when the Lord does show up? When the Lord does choose to bless, when the Lord does give you favor, is it something that you absorb the whole thing and say, this is mine, this is what God gave me, or is this a perpetual cycle where I know what God gives me, it's designed to be what? Given away. The Lord gives you a gift to bless others, not to hoard it. You understand? And look, the Lord has had these mechanisms in place before there was ever even a law. And, th and this goes for people to say, well, you see, oh, we don't have to give because that was the law, and we're not under the law anymore. Well, this was before the law. The Lord had a priest to give to, right? Uh, so I, I want us to see and understand what the author is doing here, all right? Let's continue to... Um, work through this, but Melchizedek, watch this, was without genealogy. Did you read that with me when we read the text? Without father, son, mother, no genealogy. He was not tied to Abraham. 
He was the figure that God uses as the high priest, watch this, to work on behalf of Abraham to Yahweh. We find that there is a specific line of the Levites chosen for the priesthood. This we have seen to be Aaron and his sons. The Israelites put tremendous stock and weight into the priesthood, yes? If you're born into Judaism, right? If you understand how this system worked, it was all about it. All about the priests. All about bringing your things to temple, right? To synagogue, to tabernacle, to fill in the blank. It was the religious system that had been established, But before that, there was Melchizedek. They were born into the position, the Levites. Do you understand? They became the high priest because of their last name. Everybody follow me on that? Because of something that they could not control, they were dubbed a priest. Do you see that? They were born into it. They were limited to the same restraints that the others were limited by mainly sin and needing a sacrifice for themselves. We see the author goes uh, to the pre-law phase of Israel. He goes back to the origination of the priesthood and says it was done by someone that essentially didn't fit any of the molds that you are currently beholden to, and it was more effective than what is happening today. First century Jewish Christian maybe even someone that was from the tribe of Levi, knowing what their last name is and where they come from. And, and look, you know where I'm going with this. This, this is ab- above and beyond for us evangelicals, above and beyond Judaism. We have done the same thing in our constructs. For them, it was, well, that's the line of the priests. That's what they do. The author points out... Um, They came from Abraham, which means they're human beings. And they were carrying out something from Abraham. And here's the point. Abraham felt the need to give tithes to who? Melchizedek. So that's like the Levites giving tithes to who? Melchizedek. What the author is saying is, you're caught up in the priesthood and the sacrificial systems that you're living in. Let me... Caiaphas, the high priest, right? The high priest of the temple uh, condemned Jesus and said he was a blasphemer. They crucified Jesus. Who? The religious leaders. The religious leaders of the day. The ones who had the right last name. But at some point, they thought their last name was the end-all, be-all and forgot at some point that who they came from owed some time. Who they came from paid a guy that didn't have any connection or affiliation or any last name. He was appointed. Why? Because it was going to God. Hmm. I got a couple of thoughts around this. Do you you see what's happening in this text? Yes or no? Have have we? Sometimes I get confused of groundwork I laid at 9 a.m. and what I didn't say at at 11. You know what I'm saying? How many are understanding where we're at? Are we there? We're getting there? It ain't about the last name. Here's what verses 1 through 7 dictate. I'm sorry, 1 through 10 in this passage. It dictates that Melchizedek's superiority over the priesthood of Israel. Do you see it? The author is saying the order of Melchizedek is over 
the order of the, the Levitical priesthood. He's greater than that. And he's going to go on to even further expound on that. And we will hear in just a minute. But I want to share some thoughts just on that portion first. Number one, we hold on to things because it's what we know, not because it's the best thing to hold. The first thing I want us to see and, and, and wrestle with is this. Sometimes we hold on to things because it's what we know, not because it's the best thing to hold. Tradition, the kind of church we grew up in, we've done the same things that they did. What I grew up in, same thing. Last name, who they were. Lord, help us. The author is doing a very good, meticulous job of peeling back all the layers and connecting us directly to Jesus. And that's what I love. But in order for us to get connected to Jesus, we have to realize, we have to see, maybe we're not holding on to what Jesus wants us to hold on to. These guys had to break it down and say, look, I get it. You're a Hebrew. I understand the connection with Levites. I, I totally understand. And they have their place. But what I'm trying to tell you is that they have to perform duties to cleanse themselves before they go into the Holy of Holies. There's somebody that didn't have to cleanse himself. Uh-huh. That's where we're headed. But how, look, my heart is broken for the people that are in these religious systems. What, what is it? It's a religious system. It is, I did bad things. The Old Testament law. Follow me on this. Don't miss this. The whole Old Testament, the Torah. Jews that are still in it, hear me now. You're still caught in a religious system that is, I, I did all of these things. And now I have to do something to suffice for the wrong that I did. What do I have to do? I have to carry my tithe to the priest. Is that the same work as carrying it to the Lord? No, one is an exchange. The first thing is, is we hold on to things because we know. Things that we know, rather. Not because it's what is actually best to hold on to. 2 Timothy 3.5, it says, Holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. Just because it looks like church doesn't mean it's church. Number two, what's the second thing that we do? When we are seeking to grab, this is just a helpful tidbit here, and then we're going to launch into the last half of this message. Number two, when you're seeking to grab onto something new, you know, sometimes you know that the Lord's ready to change. The season in your life that you've been in, like it's time for a change, it's time for growth. You're exchanging the milk for the meat. Sometimes people get sideways during that. When we seek to grab onto something new, make sure that you aren't compromising your why. And analyze, right, the process and the product of the new grip to ensure that you are moving forward and not backward. Jesus as their priest would be exponentially better than a descendant of Levi. 
Do you understand that the Hebrews and the Jews that we're talking about, they would have to conceptually understand, I'm going to let go of the old law of me exchanging behavior modifications for the bad things that I've done. I'm bringing my sacrifice, and I'm letting go of that to grab on to a better, more perfect priest and sacrificial system. Do you understand? That, that letting go and grabbing onto, that's difficult. All of us have to reach that point in our life where we let go of what we're holding on to and we grab hold of Jesus. And many of us realize that he was holding on to us long before we ever grabbed hold of him. We were like, hey. And then we're finally like, yeah, I'm a part of this. You understand what I'm saying? But I'm talking to people sometimes that just, they've not made that switch. You think that church and religion is an exchange of good works. It's not. That was the law. That was the old garb. That was the Levites. And they were no better than the other people. It was a system. What was that system for? I'm so glad you asked. Galatians 3.24. The law then was our guardian until Christ. So that we could be justified by faith. Now let's read the second half of Hebrews. Hebrews 7. Verse 11 through 28. Now that we have the first section, Melchizedek is superior to the Levitical priesthood. Does everybody see that? Abraham paid to Melchizedek, which means Levi paid to Melchizedek. Now here, let's do the second half. I'm going to get happy when I read this. I already know. Now if perfection came through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to appear? Said to be uh, according to the order of... Uh, I'm losing my spot here. Melchizedek, and not according to the order of Aaron? Verse 12. Thank you for that help. For when there is a change of the priesthood, watch this, there must be a change of law as well. Verse 13. For the, for the one these things are spoken about belong to a different tribe. No one from it served at the altar. Watch this. Now it is evident that the Lord came from where? And Moses said nothing about that tribe concerning the priests. Do you see the discrepancy? Jesus was the lion of the tribe of? Then how's he going to be our high priest? Here's the argument. He ain't a Levite. There's a reason he ain't a Levite. Son. Verse 15. And this becomes clearer. If another priest like Melchizedek appears, <laughs> becomes clear. <laughs> Watch this. Let's keep moving. Verse 16. Who did not become a priest based on legal regulation? Oh my goodness. Who did not become a priest based on legal regulation about physical descent, but based on. On the power of an indestructible life. Somebody say amen. amen. For it has been testified, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. That's Psalm 100. There is two distinct uh, lines here. There was somebody who the Lord was using to do the priestly work, Melchizedek, that wasn't connected to anybody. But the Lord used him because he knew where his power was coming from. And everybody through this religious Levitical priesthood system, they're looking for a priest from uh, the tribe of Levi. And here comes the tribe of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he takes back his position. 
he comes as the rightful heir and authority, and they're looking at him like, you're not a priest. Oh, yes, he was. So the previous command, watch this verse 18, is annulled because it was weak and unprofitable. Verse 19, for the law perfected nothing. But a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Verse 20, none of this happened without an oath. We know that from last week. For others became priests without an oath. Their last name, right? But he became a priest with an oath made by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has also become the guarantee of a what? Come on! Now, many have become Levitical priests since they are prevented by death from remaining in office. But because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. For this is the kind of high priest that we need. What is he? Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as other high priests do, first for their own sins, then for those of the people. He did this once for all time when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the promise of the oath which came after the law appoints a son who has been perfected forever. Let me break this down. Let me break this down. Here's what the Old Testament does. The Old Testament does this. I did bad. I have to bring my sacrifice to the tabernacle. And does that sacrifice actually bring me life and innocence? No, it brings death to the thing that I brought to the temple. What does the Old Testament do? It brings what? Death. The old covenant was something, it was a law that is only there to show you that everything you do does not measure up. It only brings death. It is an entire sacrificial system based on death, but. But the new covenant, oh my goodness gracious. Let me read Romans 8 for you, and I'm going to get real happy. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God what? Dead. Come on, somebody say amen. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son. I said he condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son. Oh my goodness gracious. In the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on things of the spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. Listen to this. The Old Testament law and subsequently its priests that would perform the duties required by the law were agents working for the Lord to represent the live effects of sin on our world. Can you see it in your own life? 
and provide a means, watch this, of working through them to a point of revelation. The revelation was always for an anointed one to come and reverse the curse, if you will. The Old Testament law reveals the punishment and ongoing effects of sin, which is what? Death. The Old Testament law brings what? Death. And would condemn the person and the priest with a guilty charge. The law delivers death. The priesthood of Aaron was to administer the contents of the law through the ministry of the tabernacle. And that was a ministry of death and sacrifice. But when Jesus came, he defeated sin in his flesh. He performed a more perfect priestly sacrifice through his life. And not only led to death, but it led to giving us life. The Old Testament is a ministry of death. Jesus' new covenant ministry is a ministry of life. What does the Old Testament do? It brings death. What does the new covenant do? It brings life. Listen to me, church. If you are caught in a religious system that says you have to do good in order to go to heaven, that's an old covenant system. That's an exchange for your bad behavior, and we call that behavior modification. You can keep trying, but there's something within you called sin that is a, a virus that is something that you cannot defeat. There's only one who didn't have it, who didn't deserve it, but because he loved you, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, he died. He did. He took that Old Testament law. And the Bible says in Romans 8 that he what? He crushed sin within himself. You understand? You ever see those old war pictures where a grenade is thrown into the foxhole and somebody jumps on the grenade and covers it up and absorbs it so that those around them can live? Jesus took the grenade of your sin and swallowed that thing. And he died. But here's what we understand. He, <laughs> he's not of the order of the Levites. He's of the order of Melchizedek. He's of an order that is a better, more perfect order. It is so much better to serve Jesus than it is to serve a religious system. Why? Because he condemned sin in himself. What does that mean? It means that if you put your faith and trust in him, you're putting your faith and trust in the victory and the power that he had over sin. Hmm. Therefore, 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. The, he the author of Hebrews, listen to me, all he's saying is stop serving the old system. All that brings is death. All that brings are sacrifices that don't suffice. Serve Jesus. He is a high priest that was able to do the priestly work that no human being could do themselves. And guess what? He did the work. If you're serving a religious system today, stop it. If you're trusting in your good works, stop it. 
Your good will never outweigh your bad. Your good was a grenade you could not handle, but it was a grenade he could handle. Why? Because he's God. He absorbed your sin and conquered it. And then he says, guess what? What the law couldn't do, I understand that you want to do right. I understand that you don't want to lie. But when you read the scripture and you go to the law, what does it do when someone says, don't lie, don't lie, don't lie? Does it make you not a liar? It just reveals that you are one. But Jesus comes to you and he says, I'm going to take those lies from you. I'm going to absorb the weight of the consequence and condemnation. And I will absorb it so that I can kill the death and give you life. Oh, my do you know that's the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the sign of the new covenant. And so when we say, hey, Jesus, I put my faith and trust in who you are. The implications of that are, are us saying, I want the new covenant. It's based on his name, his recognition. Go ahead, Mr. George. Let him play a little bit. Come on now. What are you doing back there? Listen to me, church. Satan doesn't, somebody sent me this clip this week. Satan doesn't even have a name. He has no legacy. But Jesus' name will live forever. He's just the accuser. He's just the person that is trying. He's the disruptor. Jesus is king. Church, I want you to receive the new covenant. Not based on your good works, but based on his work. Do you realize what you have in Christ? Fearless, faithful, freedom-loving. Are you caught in a loop of exchanging your bad works for good? Jesus' work is finished and final. Somebody say amen. Replace, here it is. Replace the loop of exchange, good for bad, with repentance and praise. I did something bad, I acknowledge it, and then I praise my king who saved me from it. Have you committed your faith to Jesus in the new covenant? If you haven't, today is the day. Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments, send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week, and God bless.